I think it's a weird sex thing. I, I think positive. it probably is. <laughs> Turntables. This week we'll be discussing the 1978 album Shiny Beast (parenthesis Bat Chain Puller) close parenthesis by Captain Beefheart and his Magic Band. Yes, and we have our special guest, our special friend Trevor, joining Hello. us today. Nice to be here. It's a nice wave that you gave for the for the people who can't Hi see. Hi everyone! You. Double wave, double <laughs> arms. I'm going crazy. <laughs> yeah, we should do a video component to the podcast yeah. eventually. Yeah, eventually we shall, I believe. All of them are sock puppets. After like three years. (laughs) (laughs) You'd get a professional animator. No, I kind of like Trevor's idea of the sock puppets. You gotta get um, (laughs) the Jim Henson team on. (laughs) Yeah. We should cover like a Muppet soundtrack on one of these weeks. Oh, that's a a great idea. But (laughs) this week we are talking about Shiny Beast by Captain Beefheart and his magical band. Yes. All right. Uh, how familiar were you guys prior to this week with the, the Beefheart discography? I heard Captain Beefheart for the first time, I think, about six years ago when I went to Ocala with my friend David Dean, who I did music with for a few years down in Florida. And it was just in his truck, and we listened to some music. And other than the music I heard that day and some I checked out later on, I don't know anything about the history or discography or anything like that. Um, I will say it goes back further than I realized. I thought it. I thought Captain Beefheart was more of a late '70s, early '80s, and apparently it goes back to the '60s. So very cool. Yeah, and I had told Kevin before this call. Um, I really was only familiar with select songs from from the Beefheart uh, menu, um, <laughs> uh, and so this was my first full Captain Beefheart record. Me too. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, this was I, I dove right into the infamous Trout Mask replica from 1969 and kind of liked it, but kind of didn't know what to think about it. And this was my second Captain Beefheart album. I was like, oh, okay, there's actual songs on here. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is the is the Trout Mask one replica? Is that is that not very songwritery? Um, it's very polyrhythmic to the point where it doesn't seem like the instruments are playing with each other harmoniously. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like free jazz bonanza. <laughs> gotcha. All right. And there are definitely elements of that still kind of in the DNA of this record as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, uh, if you don't mind me going into it, Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, songs like uh, Ode Talix or um, Suction Prince are two in specific that I thought were pretty uh, kind of the more out there tracks on the record. Ode to Alex has that like really sickening like ha 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 in the middle yeah, of it does anyone yeah. knows i mean i'm sure someone knows is captain beefheart the one doing most of these other voices that aren't just his singing voice like his bluesy raucous singing voice or are other people coming in and doing that narrative voice and that creepy voice like what is that? Is that all him? I think ninety percent of it is okay. him. I think there's some background singers on When I See Mommy I Feel Like a Mom. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which, one of my favorite song titles, (laughs) by the way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And his voice, critics at the time, this is one of my favorite quotes about him, is that his voice made Tom Waits sound like Julie Andrews. Oh, that's (laughs) (laughs) And 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 
Kevin and I talk about this all the time outside of podcasts because what else would we talk about? <laughs> um, but uh, Captain Beefheart is a big influence on the latter, I guess, two-thirds of Tom Waits' career. 80s onward, oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, Scott Walker cites both of them as influences as well for mm-hmm. out-there singer-songwriters that I love. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I kind of got a vibe of in terms of who this might have influenced a lot? Um, it's actually Modest Mouse. Um, oh, Some of the, um, what is it, Welcome to the Something Show, the the record with Float On and all that, there's like uh, that track that's more of the, uh, it's like instrumental and it kind of has the, um, I, don't, I don't know how to really put it, but like an Eastern European almost vibe where it's like this kind of circusy thing. And, and some of that and the instrumentals in this album sound a lot like what Modest Mouse do for like interludes and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah. I just got that vibe from it. Yeah, that kind of like, like ripping horn stuff. Yeah, that's like between the first few tracks there. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that now that you mention it. Yeah, and I think even some of the vocals from, from the when I see mommy track. I think even some of the vocals from that when when it's group vocals at the beginning, I'm like that sounded actually like Modest Mouse vocals. But that was something I that popped would have in. Drawn that parallel. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, so Modest Mouse fans, give this record a chance. <laughs> Uh, those of you who are listening to this. <laughs> and if you haven't heard of Modest Mouse, check them out too. Right. If you Captain haven't. Beefheart fans who haven't heard of Modest Mouse, <laughs> that definitely check them that out. has no one, maybe two people. <laughs> <laughs> well, two of them are right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we started talking about When I See Mommy, I Feel Like a Mummy. Do we want to start sure. there in terms of... That's actually my favorite song on the album. Oh, nice. It's one of mine as well. It is mine as well. It's my favorite. Oh wow! Okay. It's so wonky and angular and like well, weird disjointed funeral march almost, but like very bluesy version thereof. Yeah. yeah, it feels like the kind of song. And usually, I mean this in a derogatory way, but this time I don't because <laughs> I think it works with the style. It feels like the kind of song where they came up with the song title first and were like, <laughs> "Let's make a song called this," and they're like, "All right," and this is what they came up with, and it's awesome. The lyrics are pretty weird, too. <laughs> kind of a theme throughout the whole album. Yeah. I think there's that part where it's like, I want to wrap her up. I want to freeze her. It's like, um, is this your actual mother you're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, it feels like, like sometimes the lyrics are, um, like, at first, I'm like, wait a second. Do you want to say that? And then, on the other hand, I'm thinking maybe he's taking this in a playing a character kind of way. Maybe it's like a mm-hmm. putting a lens on itself kind of thing. Because some of the lyrics sometimes do get a little bit like that for me. Um, but one thing I loved about um, When I See Mommy, I Feel Like a Mummy, is it feels like he goes all the way with the hooks that I was hoping would happen in a lot of the other songs. Like some of the, the catchy stuff mixed with all of the, the kind of crazed, un, you know, unusual music, uh, which I still like. I feel like he also has some of the hooks in there that I'm like, that ties it all together for me. So that's that's the one thing for that song for me. Yeah, and when I was kind of going through the lyrics on this one, I kind of, it's hard to really grasp everything and to kind of assign meaning to a lot of these uh, these fragments. And so I kind of, not gave up, but like <laughs> I resigned myself to not everything is going to make sense and that's kind of the beauty of it. Um, like bat chain puller is kind of the biggest example of oh, like yeah. I have no idea what is going on, um, but I'm <laughs> here for it regardless. 
Um, but I, I definitely know what you mean. Like sometimes there's this like hint of meaning, and kind of like you were saying, like the lines like I want a wrapper up, I want a freezer. Like, is this trying to say something about like preservation, or is this just like Captain Beefheart being like a weirdo? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. The title track, I like the interlaying guitars in like the first 30 seconds. It's like, here's another guitar melody, here's another guitar melody, and they yeah. just kind of stack on top of each other. And the puller, puller. <laughs> Speaking of influences that this, or artists that this influences, that chain puller in specific reminds me of a lot of dub narcotic sound system like ah. song forms. Where they take this one phrase and they're like, I'm just going to sing this one phrase over and over again with changing like stuff behind me. And just then need maybe, a cub. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe add some more lyrics and then go back to it. And I don't know. That kind of, that works. It, you know. It, it also reminded me of like that movement in the 90s with grunge where they had, I, I guess some places it's been called like lounge core, where they'll talk instead of singing and they'll talk like that kind mm. of slam poetry vibe and this is like such an earlier example of that um man the yeah. lyrics are wild on bat chain pull i had to look up what a bat chain puller was i guess it's like a train signal chain did anyone look that up or anything mm -hmm. it was like something that you pull to signal a train i didn't know what it was before did either of you know what that was i didn't bother to look it up so you're doing better than <laughs> i am but this is what i think this this kind of like zooming in on a very mundane liminal role that someone might have in society is what's making me think that like this stuff wrapper up freezer and then some of the stuff about young girls and the other songs right it's like i think he's oh, yeah, kind of i think he's kind of doing a cultural reflection but by like throwing it in your face and playing the character i i think he's trying to comment a bit mm -hmm. but you know there's some lyrics that are so far out there that i don't want to like put it all into that box but it does make me think he's playing these characters to be like look at yourself you know look at us you know yeah. yeah. And, and if you don't mind me jumping to Tropical Hot Please Dog, do. which you kind of referenced just there. Because, like, I love the line, play this song so the young girls can meet the monster tonight. <laughs> That's, like, such... That, that that feels like commentary on, like, predatory... Yeah. You know? <laughs> I totally agree, yeah. But, like, sometimes... But you're right, though. Like, sometimes it's just, like... He's clearly saying something here, but I have no idea what, like... You know, to, to quote Bat Chain Puller... Um, with orange Crayola patches and uh, bulbs shoot from his snoot, you know, like <laughs> I didn't even see that one. And he always, <laughs> he always delivers these lines like so, like punchy and you know just how he how he does it. <laughs> Something that you have to hear for yourselves for the for the listeners. Yeah, did anyone make sense of the? I'm not gonna try and flamingo fruit fight. Anyone make sense of that part? Two flamingos in a fruit fight. <laughs> I think it's a weird sex thing. I, I think it probably is. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think about it that way. I could definitely see that. Um, I thought it was kind of like two competing like people who are like peacocking in the same way or like for oh. the same person. Because um, like flamingos are kind of a like flamboyant and like oh. generally people think of it as like a forward presenting kind of animal. Um, but of course, I could just be reading far too much into a Captain Beefheart lyric. <laughs> no, I think that's. I think that that makes a lot of sense. The idea that it's this bird that part of its survival is presenting itself. 
right, I think that makes sense. I like that reading of it. And um, talking about <laughs> the instrumentals in Tropical Hot Dog, um, like that single line marimba, you know, there's like, it's marimba, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's on top of everything and it's following some of the same lines. It's just like this extra layer that's not doing much of its own thing, but it's just extra. And there's a bit of excess in Catherine Beefheart, this album, at least in general, this idea of excess and, and some cartoonishness, but it's very unique. I love all the marimba and trombone lines on this album because like a lot of the really high brass is actually trombone and it's kind of in the more of a trumpet register. Oh, okay. so, so some talented players. I should have looked up who plays which instruments other than Don Von Vliet himself. But <laughs> yeah, the, the the band is really tight. Like the drum is the drums as well. I thought was uh, one of the stronger elements as, um, in 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 the whole record. Um, but specifically in some of the like jam instrumental tracks, yeah, Suction Prince has a really good band interplay. I think in particular, I think Suction Prince would be my favorite instrumental track. And the drummer is super creative. Oh, sometimes it's almost like concert percussion, oh, yeah. and then sometimes it's just a unique groove. I like the drummer a lot too. And that that one is one another one of those hone in on a really tight riff and just kind of jam through, kind mm. of kind of bluesy, kind of its own thing. And there's also Suction Prince has some really cool like not like needle drops because it's not like playing other songs but stuff that really like there's one section that's like kind of suddenly very like good vibe happy 60s and it like i wrote like the here comes the sun section um <laughs> and then there's one that's like really like driving and like four on the floor kind of and i was like ah yes the black betty premonition section <laughs> um so there's a lot going on, even though it is a lot of jamming on one groove, they can kind of morph it through these different affects as they go, which is really cool. Yeah, the uh, other... No, go know, for it, go for it. I, I was going to mention the other instrumental, Ice Rose, kind of has more individual sections, kind of has more, like a more delineated ABC section going on. And that one also has like some sick marimba lines, and mm. I really like the coda, like dum ba da dum ba da dum ba da na 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 na. That little part of the yeah. Answer. There's some lines in here that remind me of something that I would hear a band do today, and be like, oh, that's super cool, like some kind of like mathy thing or whatever. And specifically that ending in Ice Rose it got me thinking that um, something about Section Prince, though. I guess there are these moments that keep happening through the album for me, where like this bluesy influence is cool to me. But it, for me personally, it's not like my jam all the time, you know? Um, it's got this bluesy, I guess a punk aesthetic without being like punk rock. That's cool. Um, but when it hits those hooks, again, there's these hooks and suction prints that I guess step out of that and become more of like this major, I guess, feel or something where these, these hooks really land for me. And I think suction prints has those quite a bit. Um, but Ice Rose is just kind of like a fun barrage too. I, I like both the instrumentals, I think, quite a bit. There's a couple of, of non-instrumentals that I'm actually like, I don't know if I like this song, but but both instrumentals I'm, I'm very into. Yeah, the, the clunker of the album for me is You Know You're a Man. That one doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I th that one and um, Love Lies both feel like these really self-aware, like, oh, like Led Zeppelin writes these kinds of songs all the time, so I'm just going to, like, press into that, and it's like, it feels drenched in satire especially looking at the lyrics and how nonsensical and repetitive they are of like you know it, it it's just this woodstocky song that says the same thing over and over again kind of critiquing that type of song sure. 
by being that type of song. The kind of thing Ween does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, um, um or was it called, you know, you know you're a man? I, again, thought that maybe there mm-hmm. was something deeper here where there was, um, when the line comes in about, and you, I know I'm a girl, you know you're a girl or something, I thought there was, like, a gender-challenging thing in the middle of that, which I thought was going to be cool, like a play on this idea of just a relationship mm-hmm. between a, a man and a woman. But it doesn't actually mean that, I don't think, and um, it doesn't seem to be the same kind of reflection that some of the other songs have. So that, that one is the, my least favorite. You know you're a man. That one's my least favorite. Yeah, that then that's fair. Um, I think my not to like everyone says their least favorite or anything, <laughs> um, but I I don't know if I have a least favorite. But I think the thing that I have the biggest issue with on the record is sometimes a song will like over repeat mm. a little bit for me. Um, there are a lot of repetitive tracks on here, uh, and that's kind of the nature of the beast. And I like Help I get the shiny that. Beast. Yeah, nature of the shiny beast. <laughs> um, there was like not even a second between when you said that and when Kevin made the joke. That was crazy. Was right there with the joke. <laughs> oh, we're used to it. <laughs> I can't help myself. Um, but we talked about both of your favorites. Do you mind if I bring up my favorite? Sure. My favorite's Harry Irene. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. a good close second. Quaint little ditty. Yeah. It's just like a very matter-of-fact song and it's like sincere and satirical somehow and it's it's just cool kind of loungy kind of reminds me of San Tropez by Pink Floyd mm-hmm. <laughs> just like they ran a canteen Here, here's yeah I could see that right, one in like any media it seems just like a very standard song where at the end like I guess in the lyrics Irene kind of screws over Harry or something like that I, I think is what goes down with Dusty, with Dusty. See, I I was getting really caught up in these names, Harry and Dusty, because the, it's not Harry and Irene. So I was like, are these also adjectives for Irene? Like, I I didn't quite know, but I thought that was kind of oh, fun. Yeah. I thought that was kind of fun to try to figure that out. But just a nice doom doom do do. You know, I'm down with that song. It's my second favorite. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So Harry, Irene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do have a note on here. Um, this is maybe a really niche reference. Um, but there's this video on YouTube where there's someone who does this Mario rap. <laughs> Kevin must know what uh, I'm talking about. It sounds vaguely familiar. Um, and he's, he, some of the, most of the lines are just nonsensical or like not actually rhymes. Like, I, I can't think of a good example. Um, but he's like rapping and he's like, Mario may be super, but I'm super duper with a big tooper. And it's just like, <laughs> that kind of feels beef hearty to me. <laughs> and kind of the reminds me of how Harry Irene is like lyrically constructed. What does this mean? <laughs> that, that reminds me actually, because um, I had mentioned earlier in the episode about how like he does all these different voices and stuff. And it can be jarring. And some of the yelling can be jarring. And, but in a, you know, in a cool way. In Harry Irene... The vocal style, he still has this um, kind of funny, rep- re- repetitive, like saying the same thing over uh-huh. again, saying the, saying one thing over again that you wouldn't expect them to say again. And it's kind of this awkward feel that works really well in Harry Irene for some reason. The sing-songy nature of it, that slight awkwardness, is almost like endearing. It, it works in a different way, even though it's kind of a similar technique that he has in other songs. So it's almost endearing in this style. And I think that worked towards its advantage, obviously. So I, I like this song, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I definitely agree. Um, 
and it, I love how like structured the 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 speaking pattern is. Um, it's always like, Harry, right. Irene, work, and then at the end he like kind of tosses that out to be like, what's the meaning of this? Poor Harry, I guess. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a Schoolhouse Rock song. A little bit, yeah. It's like, um, <laughs> Mr. Morton walked down the street. <laughs> I would love the Captain Beefheart cover of Mr. Morton. Uh, it's like the Schoolhouse Rock Rocks compilation. He could, he could do all of Schoolhouse Rock, actually. Think about that. I mean, it would work so well for a style yeah. already. That'd be great. I also liked your quick plug for the Schoolhouse Rock Rocks album. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, Trevor, but it's a it's a cover album of Schoolhouse Rock songs by, at the time, modern artists um, and kind of alternative artists, like some artists you wouldn't expect. I am a fan. Oh, okay, Red. Yeah, yeah. It's got Ween, Pavement, yeah. Daniel Johnston. I've heard the Pavement one. They really yeah. make it their own. Um, I've probably heard others. But I'm a big fan of Pavement, so I remember that one more clearly. But yeah. Excellent. And we covered Pavement in our Wowie Zowie episode. Yes. I don't know if the ordering will be different right. on yeah, we'll these see. or how it'll work. But <laughs> we did do that one. Um, what, what did people think of um, Odalics? I like that one. It's, it's really weird. <laughs> this one, for me, I don't remember the lyrics all that well. I'll pull them up in a second and see if I, what I can remember. But what I do remember from it is it's kind of episodic and, and grand in a way. I don't know. It's like a big song. I like it a lot. Um, and that was one that I was listening to while I was like hanging my pants. I was like, wait, what song is this? And I thought it was pretty good. Uh, but it's not my top. This is more of in the middle mm -hmm. for me. Um, I don't know what others feel. Um, yeah. I, I wrote in my notes that it sounds like three different songs that are being played like seriously but at the same time so like two guitars are playing riffs that like work together but they sound like affectively they're trying to convey different things and the drums are also kind mm -hmm. of like in their own but then they kind of join together for those big epic moments that you're talking about and i do think this is one of the the tracks on this album that can be harder to the harder on the virgin ears of uh of a possible listener <laughs> one of those weed out tracks yeah yeah but I, I enjoyed it i guess there's some songs there's some songs for me where the structure plays into captain beefheart's like wildness and then there's some songs like the you know you're a man where the structure of it is like lackluster and the and that makes the wildness seem like a little over the top for no other reason where where when the structure is a little bit more playful and you're talking about these different things happening at the same time it's like it's all it's all supporting each other in a way uh -huh. um so maybe that's what's got to me about that song what did you guys think of candle mambo oh that's one of my favorites <laughs> some lovely marimba lines on yeah. that one i i think i tend to like the lighter songs on this album even though i like it all um like no. candle mambo and harry irene are some of my favorites I just think they're neat. Yeah, I don't. I wonder if there's anything about that because I, I I tend to agree. Maybe it's like the counterpoint of the style again, where like those those more lyrical melodies or something work in a fun way with Captain Beefheart's presence. Because I I do like this one too. Um, yeah. And this one had like a really clear image, like the lyrics about like the shadows dancing on the wall. Um, like I I'm imagining like 
there are candles in this room and people are dancing, but the shadows are dancing concurrently to the people. Like it's cool, and it it is a mambo. You know, they 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 didn't lie. <laughs> they didn't lie. Yeah. <laughs> There's the um, 52nd album closer, Apesma. I was going to say, we got to talk about The smoke and dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like he's talking about himself. Oh, Maybe. <laughs> Get out of your cage, Apesma. You're, you're going to the bathroom too much. <laughs> the little girl who named you Apesma? She's dead now, Apesma. <laughs> yeah, any reading of any of these lyrics? <laughs> in in particular, any any fun interpretations here? I mean, like, on surface level, it sounds like you know there's this animal that was named by this you know young girl in a contest or like animal a zoo animal, um, but it does feel like you could apply it to someone's own life. Like your cage is not getting any bigger, you know, and you aren't get you aren't as young as you used to be and. The woman who named you is dead now, and that's like, oh gosh. <laughs> One of those kind of bleak poems to kind of close out the proceedings. Yeah, I just wrote in my notes, this makes me feel sad and trapped. And that, that's all I have to say in the notes anyway. Yeah, this is so much more directly bleak than some of the other. Like the tropical hot dog thing might is, is like fun and then brings up some questionable imagery. This one's like, and to end the album with it. It almost paints the rest of the album like, wait, do we need to take a second look at, at all of mm-hmm. this? You know, because you went so direct with the bleakness of it. And so there's there's like a, a weight behind this that I think maybe could be applied to a second listening of the whole album. Yeah, it's definitely a very striking track on the album. And I don't think it would work anywhere else as effectively anyway. Mm. Yeah, there's three different it's kind of just just heart speaking tracks on Trout Mask Replica as well, and they're kind of strewn throughout the uh, track listing, but he's a poet and painter. He actually painted the album art himself, um, and he... Who Captain Beefheart did? Yeah. And um, this oh. this album came after somewhat of a hiatus. I think he, he dropped an album in 1974 and kind of took a few years off and then came back in the 78 for this one, and kind of like his last trio of albums with this one, Dock at the Radar Station and Ice Cream for Crow in 82. And um, I haven't heard most of the rest of his 70s stuff, actually. I, I was just going to say, I think the ones where he's talking and doing like the whole poetry thing, um, that's another mode of this album that I like a lot. Like I can get into it for, for what it is fully. Um, so I, I, I like that part about his music. I, I'm, part of me is into like Slint, you know, you know Slint? Yeah. Um, kind of like the 90s grunge, proto-math rock kind of people. And they, that's kind of like that 90s lounge chord thing too. And maybe part of me is just like, it's kind of cool to see maybe these were influences on that style. So maybe I'm into that. But um, I don't know. He has all these different lyrical styles and vocal styles, but I, the poetry one feels so sincere. I think it's very cool. Mm-hmm. And it almost is the most sincere track on the album after, you know, over 40 minutes of Candle Mambo and Bat Chain Polar, you know, like it's it's kind of interesting that he would punctuate it like that. Now, there is one song other than that we haven't touched on, and it is one of my favorites as well. That's Floppy Boot Stomp. And that's got turned bright in the middle of the night. And got... <laughs> yeah, I like this one. I think it's a I think it's a good opener. I um, when I first listened to the album, actually, my Spotify started on Tropical Hot Dog. 
And so oh, that really? was a fun introduction to the album. Yeah, I, it was just on accident when I was listening in the car. But uh, <laughs> going back and listening to this being the first one, I was like, wait, this sets up um, the variety of what happens, I think, a little bit more. And, and yeah. Yeah, I like this one a lot. It's good. It has some of the hooks that follow through on it that I like. Mm. Right? This is not all just complete wild and stuff. I don't remember quite the instrumentation. Did it have a lot of the instrumentation from the rest of the album on it? Or, or I'm trying to remember. Yeah, so um, it's got that building, like, slinky guitar line that... Down, down, down. Yeah. It's kind of like a Western tune. Yeah, yeah, a little bit Western. Um, yeah. And kind of in line with, like, the... Who do ho down? Like, I love I love all the, like, <laughs> vocal accents um, that they have on, on this track. Yeah, this one felt like it had kind of an intentional character to it that I, like, grooved with. Right, it stuck with me. Yeah. I like how bluntly it starts. Like the first five seconds, it's just like we're slamming you right on into the action. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No intro or anything. It's like immediate vocals and guitar goodness. Yep. I think that's every track then. I think we have we have touched on every track. We can't we, if we have any anything else to say. Definitely that could come up. Or, but if not, we we can definitely move on to overall thoughts and scores. Overall thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I have um, more concise thoughts about overall okay. this album. Okay, yeah. I think so. Does anyone else want to say anything about a track in particular? I think I've said, I've said a, a good bit about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, so the album as a whole, I have to admit, there are moments where I'm like, I'm just not vibing with this. And that happens in tropical hot dog for me also by the way it do, that does happen and it happens in the other one that we all agreed was not the best which was the you know that you're a man right mm-hmm. but then harry irene i think works with the quirkiness of him so well and then some of those that have like the hooks like when i see mommy i feel like a mummy like there, there are songs in this album that i think fully use the quirkiness and the um the the full orchestration and just like the marimba being in there for fun and um some of those almost mathy riffs uh so i think there's a lot of special moments in the album but there are those moments that don't totally strike me Uh, i'm not going to give it a score yet i just wanted to throw that out there and i'm it does make me interested to go back in some older albums to hear if it came from a more structured place if the blues influence was the biggest thing when he started out. I actually don't know. I haven't listened to the older albums. Or if the quirkiness was there from the get-go, like the, the all-out kind of kind of style, if that was there from the get-go. Maybe you can expand on that a little yeah. bit. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, but I think it's, there's something special in there that comes through often, but not all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jumping off of that a little bit, yeah. his uh, debut album, Safe as Milk, from 1967, is I'd say quote unquote more normal blues rock. <laughs> um, still sure. got the weird voice, but um, that that's probably his most critically acclaimed album, quote unquote. His first one would be. Yeah, Trapmas Replica is very divided. People love it or hate it. Um, and this this one is also like a, among the better Beefheart releases. I still haven't heard "Lick My Decals Off, Baby." Um, which I is, saw that album name and I was like, <laughs> 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 "Going for it." <laughs> it's yeah. great. Uh, the yeah. 
the Mirror Man Sessions is an interesting one, because that one has just, like, 19-minute blues jams on it. <laughs> so it's, okay. like, a really more expansive version of some of the sounds you hear on, like, Safe as Milk or Shiny Beast. Some of the sessions for this one were a little strange. I think they were recorded in, like, 75, 76, some of the earlier tracks, and then they were kind of shelved for a while. But I think it came out in 78. And and the, even the songs that for me don't land completely, this is what I totally took away from it, is like there is a glimmer of resistance, I think, in this album. Like there is a glimmer of some kind of artistic revolution in what he's doing, even in the silliest moments, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate that most of all, even if not every song is for me, that there is this kind of revolutionary... Um, like you're laughing at first and then Apes Maw comes on and you're like, was I supposed to be laughing? You know, so that <laughs> right. is, is something I can appreciate. Yeah. Um, and I, one of the only things that I have left to say now that I'm thinking about it before scores, um, there's really not much bass going on on this album. I suppose there isn't. It's a, it's a, a lot point, of yeah. dueling guitars, but it never feels empty without it. Um, or not, not never. Um, but usually at least for me, doesn't feel, uh, too empty without it um that was just a, an observation i made kind of thinking back because we hadn't we, we had mentioned the talented you know marimba and trombone and drums but like i was like is there really any bass going on that's a good point because i think about the the instrumentation when when you have the marimba and the trombone doing the same lines like you were talking about kevin and i and i remember that and it's sounding thin not in a bad way but um but yeah, now it's hitting me that this, there's just not that bass up front. And that's a, the big part of some of that sound that makes the multi-instrumental sound so quirky too. The fact that there is not this grounding, like overwhelming bass. That's kind of interesting, yeah. Feels almost like a jazz combo with mm-hmm. like some of the, some of the marimba lines in particular. Well, I, I, I hate to cut us short, but my computer is dying again. So perhaps we should <laughs> say final thoughts and scores and uh, do a little sign-off. Um, I don't know if anyone has particular burning urge to go first. Would you like to go first? Sure. Um, yeah, so kind of going off of what Trevor had said, I, I, I do agree that um, there is a really special kind of uh, attitude to this album, and I think there are also a lot of moments on the album where it doesn't work as well um, for me, uh, but I still really do like it, and I think that it's that the highs are very high for me, um, and I definitely recommend people giving this album a chance because there is a lot to take in. Um, I feel like my score is a temporary score. I think it will get higher with more listens, but currently I'm feeling a solid 7.8 out of 10. For, too much uh, water <laughs> <laughs> for shiny beast bat chain puller yeah my, my final thoughts would just be that maybe we don't ask people enough to give like your first impression you know fight through if there's something special on there my, my thing would say my, my last thoughts would be if you try this album out and it doesn't seem for you to actually work towards finding what's special about it for you because that I think would be beneficial to your soul <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Like, th- like being able to dig that out of something like this because it's, I-, I do think there's like this special kind of cultural resistance going on and I think that that's important. And then there's also a lot of good songs even though there's a couple not so great ones. I would give it a solid, I'm just gonna give it a seven. The songs, you know, there are some songs I didn't like but there are some great ones. Seven's perfectly solid spot for me 
the way I think of this album. If I really think of it in terms of total value, I'd probably just rate it higher. But I'm going to rate it for myself first. Um, seven. But yeah, lots of cultural value, in my opinion. All right. Yeah, I'm probably the biggest Captain Beefheart fan of the three of us here, and I like his approach to more avant-garde music and his his own unique take on the blues. He kind of disassembled it and put it together again back based on his own personal values and his own personal lyrical and musical approaches. And this album has a lot of nostalgia for me. I bought it on iTunes back in 2011 or whatever. <laughs> So uh, it's been a part of my life for over a decade now, and it's it's quirky. There's weird stuff going on. The voice is definitely not for everybody. Not all the tracks are as big of highlights as some of his other albums, but the overall vibe of this one is like very playful, very all over the place, and I, I like that kind of disjointed nature that all comes together to give it an 8 out of 10 for me. Nice. Yeah. This has been Turntables with Captain Beefheart and his magic band. Thanks for joining us today, Trevor. It was yes, a pleasure you, to have you on. Thank you. Have you on again. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You, you, you think you're going to get out of this that easily? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I'll be there. The long-term contract. Excellent. All right, well, I'm Stitch. I'm Kevin. And I'm Trevor. And this has been Turntables. Next time we're going to be covering New York City Ghosts and Flowers by Sonic Youth. Uh, this album infamously got a 0 out of 10 from music publication Pitchfork. Uh, and we're going to be joined by my friend and bandmate Bryce, a.k.a. Altimetry. It'll be a good episode, and we'll talk to you then. <laughs>